Welcome to the Truth Be Known podcast, bringing you the objective truth boldly, candidly, and without apology. Welcome to this week's episode. Welcome back to another episode of the Truth Be Known podcast. I'm Nathaniel Jolly. And I am Eki Tepsipornshai. Well, brother, it's good to have you back with us. Here we are. Uh, the What is today is Tuesday, uh, Tuesday yep. before Thanksgiving. Um, and so we're going to give someone uh, we're going to give someone something great to talk about around the Thanksgiving dinner table. <laughs> Christian nationalism uh, seems fitting. <laughs> Um, yeah, maybe not, uh, but we're going to talk about that today. And, um, I I was thinking, you know, over the last, I don't know what what you say, probably few weeks, maybe, no, maybe a few months. Um, it's been a topic that's started to come up more and more. And, um, some people mean one thing by it. Some people mean another thing by it. Um, but effectively now there's a growing kind of movement from both, politically left and politically right to adopt the term and to push the term, which is different for me because normally in the realm of politics, you, you, you see opposition. So um, the, the definitions are, are different, but there's uh, a building up to adopt the term from both sides. What's been your initial observation of kind of the growth of this term, this phrase, Christian nationalism? Yeah, it, um, we've talked about this uh, for a while, and, and I think um, I, I agree with you. I think the, the, the discussion around it and the noise around it has been um, growing over the last uh, few months. But even going back to the 2020 election and, and leading up to that, um, when we were talking about which uh, platform we were going to support, and, and for me, I did support the Republican platform, and it was more about the policies than, than it was about the candidate, though I do think that there are many things that um, uh, President Donald Trump uh, did well. Um, I certainly was not in favor of the way he conducted himself. Um, but there was a, a lot of chatter around that time that if you support um, what people would term as the MAGA movement, um, then you are a Christian nationalist. And uh, so from the left, it's often used as a demeaning term mm-hmm. um, to describe uh, those who are following um, the nation and uh, and idolizing Trump and making him to a messiah rather than following the two true um, Christ uh, of the Bible. Um, and then on the right side, uh, when people talk about Christian nationalism, it, it can be a broad range of, of things um, from basically and, and from my point of view, you know, a, a at the most basic level, um, a nationalist is someone who wants what is right for the country. A Christian nationalist is someone who wants what is right for the country, but really through the lens of a Christian worldview. And so from that just basic definition, um, neither you nor me have any kind of objection. Um, but I, I think it's been taken above and beyond that um, to really this kind of idea of almost a theocratic nation that we we are striving for. And, and certainly from my point of view, um, we, we seek to make disciples, right? And uh, the call of the Great Commission is to make disciples of all the nations. So there is some sense in which if God brings revival and he brings it um, in a in in a big enough kind of spread, um, there is going to be greater influence uh, with politics and policies and and whatnot. And so that's that that would be a good thing. Um, but I, I think there is a different dimension to this that's been um, discussed more recently, which is a little bit more. Um, it's much more intentional on the political front. Um, and it's uh, it's much more, um, I would say, almost coercive uh, towards mm. those who are not Christians to to live um, according to Christian values. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, right off the bat, uh, we're talking about the definitions. Um, so if you're listening and you're like, I still don't know what in the world is meant by Christian nationalism, we'll join the club. Neither do we. Huh. Um but and and so I think that's extremely important. It, it's it's become a hot topic issue. Um, it could potentially be an issue that you know creates some strife and things like that. Um, I, I, you know, this isn't a political episode, but in some sense, if you're a human being and you live in a nation, your life is political, right? Uh, to some degree or another. Right. So um, we can't get away from talking about those things, especially when the term nationalism is in the phrase we're discussing. 
Um, but I think it's under, it's important to understand, like you said, and you're right, I, I wasn't thinking back that far, 2020. So you have uh, the godless world um, and it, it's not, yeah, it, you have the political left, you have those who hate Christ, who are opposed to anything with the word Christian in it or anything they might associate with Christians. Um, although, let me say very clearly, Donald Trump is not a Christian, nor do I ever have I ever thought he was. Mm-hmm. My, my prayer is that he would come to know Christ. Um, I did vote for him, um, but we didn't do that believing he was some stalwart example of you know Christian ethics and morality. So, um, but we have the political left that uses the term in a derogatory sense, right? And that, for the most part, is strictly political. Um, I, I think if we understand the spiritual reality behind it, um, there has to be some sort of um, tension or angst against it merely because Christianity is associated with it, right? Whether that's genuine or not. Uh, a, an unbelieving world hates anything that has to do with Christ, even just in name. Yeah. Um, so we have that term, right? So I've been accused of being a Christian nationalist. You've been accused of being mm-hmm. a Christian nationalist. Right. Um, And by their definition, at least what's most commonly used, and it's almost always just tied to being a Trump supporter, which is. Yes. Um, If if you if you have voted for the Republican Party, um, you are subject to this accusation. Yeah. And so if if your definition is that I don't vote for uh, baby murders, then sure. But you can call me whatever you want to call me. Um, If your definition of bigot is that I don't support godlessness then fine. Uh, in your your definition, that's what I am. Um, but there's a whole nother side that I want to deal with, because to be quite frank, th- that definition and that argument is just, it, it doesn't really even deserve a lot of time. Um, but there is another side now that I think does deserve time, which, which we're going to talk about on this podcast. And that's kind of um, the adoption of the term by professing believers. And professing believers who are gaining quite a large platform, and they're gaining platforms from some guys that you know we would know and love, and so um, their definition. And I'm, for this, I, I want to read a definition given um, by Stephen Wolf. So Stephen Wolf, a gentleman who uh, recently wrote a book uh, called Christian Nationalism, and um, if you don't know what's going on, it, it is a good book to read just so that you become aware of how other people are using the term, what they're promoting. Um, I think what you find out is uh, if you were to read his book, and I, I skimmed through it, I didn't read it in great detail, but it's very theonomic, right? It, it seems very much um, post-millennial, we need to convert the nation into a Christian nation, um, you know, theonomy, that kind of thing. But his definition, which he uses in the book, is this. He says, Christian nationalism is a totality of national action consisting of civil laws and social customs conducted by a Christian nation as a Christian nation in order to procure for itself earthly and heavenly good in Christ. So that's the definition he's using. Uh, he did an interview with Doug Wilson, and uh, since he's done interviews with lots of guys. Um, and so that's kind of his perspective, and that's kind of the camp that's, I think, loving his stuff the most, uh, is the the post-mill, we need to kind of, you know, make everything Christian camp. Um, I have really a, a great concern over using this term this way. So I, I think at the beginning, maybe it's good to say, um, look, I- anytime Christian nationalism comes up, we just need to ask the question, what do you mean by that, right? Because no, there's no solid definition yet. A- at least I don't think there is. I haven't heard of one. Even in Stephen Wolf's uh, book, he prefaces that with, this is just my definition. This is what I'm right. using. Yours might be different. So asking the question, what do you mean by that, before you even getting get into conversation is probably the right way to go. Yeah, I agree. And I think even in the political realm, outside of Christian circles, the, the term nationalism is not firm. Um, so you, you get some people that will use nationalism in a very derogatory sense, talking about uh, Nazi Germany, for instance, that um, that if that is nationalism, you always have to condemn it, always. 
right? But there's also a sense of nationalism, which um, does not um, directly lead to that kind of behavior, but rather just says that you're putting the needs of your country first, which I believe every single country, every single leader of that country, they have a responsibility to their country first. And uh, so there's there's nothing wrong with that. Now, when, they're, when their prioritization of their own country um, turns into um, the kinds of things that we saw with uh, Nazi Germany, then obviously that's gone way, way over the line. And, and that is now hurting other people. Um, so even in the political realm, there's a lot of disagreement about what exactly that term means. And then when you throw Christian on top of that, um, that adds, adds even more confusion, not because the term Christian should be confusing, but because even the term Christian today um, gets used in a, in a variety of ways that I would disagree with, right? Yeah. Um, so because and quite honestly, that's just because a lot of Christians don't know what it means to be a Christian. And, and a lot of the world doesn't even know what it means to be a Christian based upon um, some of their uh, false pretenses and, and false presumptions that they bring to the table when they talk about uh, religious kind of topics. And, and that all ties back to, and we've talked about this before, that, that ties back to a lot of um, churches that are not teaching the Bible, that are not being very clear about what it means to, to be a Christian. And then you also get a lot of um, social justice oriented movements which will argue that the whole point of being a christian is to help the poor and to uh feed the needy and 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 all of that which um is great because jesus christ did those things but the central mission of the church is to make disciples it's to evangelize and to disciple people that they would become more like christ yeah yeah it, using this definition that stephen wolf gives I, I think one of the the dangers and one of the things that i'm concerned about is that it really does, and and I doubt that this is his intention. I I haven't heard anything malicious, you know, sounding coming from him, and so I think he's his intentions. Uh, he's well meaning, but it takes the focus off of the power of God who changes nations and does work in humans' hearts. You, you know, when you listen to that definition, he talks about it being the totality of national action all consisting of civil laws and social customs. There's nothing gospel in this definition. Yeah. And in my mind, if you leave the gospel out, you no longer have Christianity because right. that's what defines Christianity ultimately, right? Um, and so while it's well-meaning, it, it's basically kind of a conservative version of the social gospel in my mind. Uh, the, the you know the the so-called social gospel is like you mentioned all about you know how many people can we feed in the community and yeah. uh, you know all these different things. Well, this seems to be all about well, how can we create laws that are in honesty? I don't think even Christian they're just moralistic based on biblical ethics. No. Um, we're not a Christian nation. You know, even by his definition, this isn't even possible in our country because we're not a Christian nation. Mm -hmm. um, it, you know, John MacArthur has made, said that several times. I think we recognize that. Um, I don't even believe we ever were a Christian nation. Now, we were a nation whose founders believed in right. a God. Mm -hmm. um, it, a lot, several of them were deists, right? Which is not the same as what we believe. Mm -hmm. But they valued biblical ethics um, and biblical morals. And so the country was founded using Judeo, you know, Christian ethics and morals, and that was good, but it didn't make us a Christian society. It made us a moral society, right? right? Um, using Christian values. And certainly there were lots of Christians that came over. Um, and, and so we understand that we also understand things like we are told uh, that the Constitution only works for what a, a moral and religious people, I think, is yeah. that how it's phrased. Mm -hmm. um, and so even in that, you see um, kind of the founding of the country. So we aren't a Christian nation anymore. We're a pagan nation. And yeah. I know Christians don't like to think that or say that, but it shouldn't be shocking to us if we understand what Scripture says about how things are going. And maybe we'll get into that. Some of this I think is coming from an eschatological view that just isn't biblical um, or it, right. It, it's a view that uh, things are, things are, or can progressively get better right, uh, before right. the return of Christ. So we just don't see that anywhere in scripture. 
Yeah, I, I have. Um, you know, when we talk about eschatology, that um, that that's an area that. Uh, a lot of those things haven't happened yet, especially the end times, the return of Christ and, and all of that. And I see a lot of good and godly men across the spectrum, whether we talk about premillennial, amillennial, postmillennial. But I do agree with you. It, it tends to be those who are postmillennial that will really push kind of the societal change. And it makes sense if you believe that yeah. um, if you believe in that postmillennial view, then then you also believe that Jesus Christ, um, the the kingdom is already here and it's really our responsibility to to make it better. Um, and, and this is part of that danger. I, I agree with you on that. And I also agree that this country was never truly a Christian nation. Now I know even some people in my church in my own church will argue with me on that, um, which is fine. Um, but I would argue just as you have said that what we had were strong Judeo-Christian values. Now, I do believe a number of our founding fathers were truly believers, but I think yeah, they were in the minority, yeah. not the majority. And, um, and and I think a lot of this push for Christian nationalism is really recognizing, some of it is at least recognizing that the nation started off with some strong Christian values, and, and they want to get back to that. But for um, for some of these um, individuals, um, they, they want to go beyond that. It's not just uh, bringing back a, a strengthening of Judeo-Christian values, which I think is good. I mean, Judeo-Christian values for the society, a, a lot of this um, is right there in our conscience, I, I would argue, that that a lot of those Judeo-Christian values don't necessarily require a knowledge of the scriptures, but really just um, paying attention to um, what God has put into your conscience. So I think for that reason, it has provided the prosperity to America that is provided. I mean, we we became a prosperous nation from, from a brand new nation to really a, a global leader in world record time. Right. So, I mean, that that served us uh, well in in many ways. Now, there were problems along the ways. Uh, obviously, we were not a, we were never a perfect nation. There were things that this nation has done that uh, that that certainly it needed to repent of. But I, I do think a lot of people are trying to get back to that state, but then taking it above and beyond that. And and I think we have to kind of draw a line between um, what is good for society versus when do we cross the line into really punishing people for not being Christians. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, it's one of those things where <clears throat> I, what we're, what we're communicating, I think is that we understand that the way the country was founded, we see God's common grace. Right. And, and that's yeah. really a moralistic society is still in opposition to a holy God because moralism doesn't save anyone and moralism in and right. of itself doesn't glorify God. Um, however, it is a common grace, yes, right? And, and so we want to recognize that. And so we, we both agree with that. And the less moral a society becomes, the more anarchy you have, the more problems you have. Um, and so we're not saying that we don't want good laws. And I think we would both agree that when laws are made, it's actually the civil magistrate's duty to create laws that glorify and reflect the character and nature of god that is what they should be doing um th that's not for me to do because i'm not a magistrate um does that mean they go back and they enforce uh the civil law of israel no that, that's right. a poor understanding of the divisions of the law in scripture um so we can't do those things but that's kind of what some of this is so um it, you know stephen wolf talks about even how he's not opposed to um having blasphemy laws um mm. it, you know again that's well that's exactly what you said that would be punishing people who aren't christian and in case anyone says because i would think this well i mean aren't aren't people going to be punished for not being a christian well yes but by god right yeah. um we aren't we don't judge them in that way because they've already been judged it's not our duty to do that nor is it the magistrate's duty um, to do that. Uh, now, magistrates should be making good laws, uh, moral laws, using the principles of the Old Testament. I think we would all want that, right? Um, but to kind of take this phrase, Christian nationalism, and turn it into a movement that's centered around a political uh, resolution, right, um, is in and to say that this is what Christians should be doing. Well, now what you've done is you have inadvertently taken the focus off of what Christ commanded Christians to do, 
right? You, you go to Matthew 28, we all know it, tells the disciples, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. Mind you, he's talking about people, right? You, yeah, you can't right. make disciples of inanimate objects. You can't make disciples of nations. Um, says, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to keep all that I commanded you, and behold, I am with you always. That's the great commandment. So if there was ever a rallying call for Christians, it's not Christian nationalism, it's the Great Commission. Right. And and I and I think this idea of Christian nationalism has it all backwards. The if you want to see change in a nation, you need people with changed hearts. There's a reason our Judeo-Christian laws and ethics and morality didn't last because they were largely Christless. A moral society will never last without a majority of Christians in, in that place because corruption eventually seeps in even in moralism right yeah yeah and we see that within the church there's that uh, there's that uh, saying semper reformata right that's uh, always reforming and the reason why we say that is because the church is filled with people and it's in the heart of man to drift away from the truth of god and so we're always reforming we always have to bring it back to the truth it's not that the truth itself is always changing um in the in the sense of governments you're you're right i mean you can create judeo-christian values but the human heart always wants to go further and further uh, away from god and and so that's that's a reality that's uh, that, that's already there you know i think the question is this because a, a lot of the model for what people visualize um at least in these extreme forms of christian nationalism is really a return to um old testament israel right yeah. it's it's the nation of israel it's a theocratic nation where god sets the laws you enforce those laws according to god's standards um the the problem is that when you look at the old testament israel were they they were all the people of God. I mean, God God saved them as a people group and called for them and, and defined his laws for them. So all of them, um, regardless of how they felt about God, were bound to God. They were redeemed by God. And so there's this Old Testament picture of redemption that obviously is fulfilled in Christ now. But when Jesus Christ says, go and make disciples of all the nations, some people may look at that and think, well, yeah, that, that means basically turn everything into um, a theocratic kind of government. But the problem is when you look at how the Great Commission was fulfilled in the book of Acts, you don't see any of that at all. Um, you know, this is not, uh, you know, when it comes to the commandments of Jesus Christ, and I've been saying this more and more recently, um, becoming more and more convicted of this, um, the, the commandments of Jesus Christ, um, if you just take them by themselves, certainly they are open to um, a lot of different interpretations, but they get narrowed down when you see how they were fulfilled in the book of Acts by the disciples and how they were applied to the churches when the disciples were writing to those churches. So the commandments of Christ are not just what we see in red in the gospel books. Um, it's actually um, exemplified through the apostles and the work of the Spirit in the entire book of Acts, and then through all the um, letters written from the disciples uh, to the to the various churches and individuals in the rest of the New Testament. Um, so I would argue, um, just as you have, when we talk about making disciples of all the nations, the focus is upon the discipleship of individuals, because as you said, it is not nations that are Christians, it is people who are Christians. And so our focus needs to stay that way. And I think when you look at the rest of the New Testament, you don't see any signs of this push towards creating kind of a new Israel. Now, there is Romans 13. And so you had mentioned that those who are magistrates, they do have a responsibility to uphold what is good. And, and so that's where we do want laws to reflect good morals. And there is no better morals than, than what we see in the scriptures. Yeah. Um, Romans 13 says that government is a minister of God and they bear the sword in order to reward those who do good and punish those who do evil um so there there is that sense but let's put it this way let's say um we had a, such a great revival that now we have a number of politicians who are truly christians running for office and and let's say we get a genuine christian who's in the position of being the president of the united states um, does that now make us into a theocratic nation? And I would argue no, yeah. um, because 
the the uh, America is still not Israel. Um, and not everyone believes in the same God that we believe. Now, I think if there were a Christian to be in the position of president, I think his decision should be informed by what are good moral values according to the scriptures. Um, but we still recognize that it is not the law that brings people to repentance. It is the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, and that will never change. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And so that's what we would desire. And so what we're not saying is don't participate in. Look, it's God's common grace that there is a country where and there's many that that you can vote and participate in leaders. Well, actually, I would say that's a result of of a curse. Ultimately, Uh, started with Israel saying we don't want God. We want a king. Right. Um, God's Mm -hmm. design for his people was that he would be ruled. But in, in with what you know where we are now it's it's a common grace that in america we get to you know have a voice in our rulers um and so we're not saying don't participate in that uh by all means do you should i think it's a civil duty um you know and as long as we we're christians in every sphere of life Right. right. Everywhere you can be a Christian, be a Christian. Um, so if you live in a country where you're allowed to vote, then vote in line with what is faithful to Scripture. Um, if you're in a country, if you're in the Jordan, well, guess what? You don't get to vote because you have a king. Um, you know, then you be a Christian as a servant of the king uh, in whatever ways that looks like. Um, and, and so we're not saying don't participate. We're not saying be apathetic in the political sphere and i don't want anyone to misunderstand us um but uh, there there will be times possibly uh where it it, to do the right thing before god you can't vote and we shouldn't that shouldn't cause a negative reaction in us right um i i think the more we understand if you want to talk about nationalism um you have a nationality as a believer and it's a heavenly one that is your nationality and the more you understand that the less attached you become to earthly identifications um yes i'm an american citizen i'm grateful that i lived here but to be quite frank um the christian who grew up in uh rwanda um biblically needs to be grateful that god put him there because god put him there for a reason the Christian that lives in the Jordan, the Christian that lives in China. Um, it, you know, there's no such thing as a Christian who should be ungrateful for where God's placed him. Um, unless we judge God for being wrong in, in where he has us. So we should all be grateful. But ultimately, our, um, you know, our, our faith is in Christ. Our hope is in Christ, not in a political system. And then you come to passages like Second Timothy. And, and let me read this. Just to give us some perspective, 2 Timothy 3, Paul's talking to Timothy. Now, listen to what he says here in verse 10, uh, 10 through 13. Now, you follow my teaching, conduct, purpose, faith, patience, love, perseverance, persecutions, and sufferings, such as happened to me in Antioch and Iconium and Lystra. What persecutions, uh, yeah, what persecutions I endured, and out of all of them, the Lord rescued me. So, here's the part I want to concentrate on. Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted but evil men and imposters will proceed from bad to better no no right from bad to worse right right Right? right. we'll proceed from bad to worse deceiving and being deceived so Mm -hmm. the idea that we're going to take largely godless people group um and make them good by laws um, and politics and things like that. It, it's just contrary to the teaching in Scripture. Things are going to get worse. That's not a pessimistic view. That's an honest view. We're told that in Scripture. And the beauty of Scripture is that it's not just as though God's trying to depress us. Um, he gives us all this incredible Scripture on how to prepare ourselves um, how to receive suffering with joy, understanding that blessed are those who are cursed when people say all kind of vile things against you and, and persecute you. Um, you know, Ephesians uh, chapter six, we have, um, you know, the chapter on how to do warfare spiritually and how to prepare and guard ourselves. And then beyond that, if you want to, you know, if you want a theocratic nation, you've got one already. Stop trying to create it here. 
when you die, you'll be a part of a nation that's ruled by the king. It, that's our, that's already there. Right. You know, it, we're not going to create that here on this earth. So a, a, any commentary to any of that? Yeah, Philippians 3.20, our citizenship is in heaven. And uh, that was from Paul, a Roman, speaking to those who had Roman citizenship in the city of Philippi, um, who took great pride in the Roman citizenship. And so he's reminding them that your true citizenship um, is indeed in heaven. So uh, I agree with uh, what you are saying. Now, you said something that I think I'd like to be able to focus on for a moment. You, you said we are to be Christian in all aspects of our of our life, all, all aspects of our walk, and and that is exactly true. And and so, <clears throat> at what point do we draw the line? Because certainly we um, we would uh, we would stand against um, abortion, um, right? We would stand against any kind of laws that that support the murder of unborn babies. Um, we would stand against uh, any kind of law that uh, would extend marriage to be uh, beyond just male and female, right? Um, so what gives? Some people look at that and say, well, you're being a hypocrite because you guys mm -hmm. um, stand for these laws. You're basically trying to force your Christian beliefs uh, upon others. And then here you are um, rejecting um, Christian nationalism, which which is really just a logical extension of of what you guys are already doing. That's I, I'm sure there are people out there that would argue that, and I'm sure many of our listeners have heard people that kind of make make that same kind of argument. And uh, and and I would say this: Look, we stand upon truth, and I've said this before. We stand upon truth regardless of whether it is political or not. Okay, and uh, we we understand that in the terms of civil government, we want what is good for government. We want what is good, and we will up hold the kinds of um, the kinds of good uh, that God already puts in the heart of every person to understand what is good not saying that the hearts are good but in, in our conscience everyone understands has a basic understanding of good and evil everywhere you go that's why laws exist if if no one had any sense of good and evil there'd be no laws um, there, there'd be no point to laws so there's a conscience that has been given to everyone and, uh, and and in wanting what is good for any country we should stand up for what is good what is evident to everyone even prior to knowing Christ and the fact that there is only male and female that has been known since the beginning of time Right. It's only really over the last, um, I would say, 10 to 15 years that it has really exploded and even less than that, um, really, that uh, that we've gone beyond these two genders and and really persecuting uh, people. Uh, and when I say persecuting people, I don't mean physical violence, but but really seeking to silence um, anyone who argues otherwise. And in the state of California, I know that there's an education system that seeks to teach children that any spiritual institution that teaches there are only two genders is guilty of spiritual abuse uh, in those exact words they are guilty of spiritual abuse that's what a lot of young kids are being taught in public schools in california with regards to for instance churches that hold to the fact that there's only man and woman and and the fact that the baby in the womb um, is a real human life um, that that is something that people have understood since the beginning of time and only recently as they have begun to idolize their own bodies their own lives and and really um this is an extension of the sexual revolution um that that people have tried to justify it uh, in in other ways so we we stand upon truth um no matter what the realm is no matter how it's perceived whether it's political or not but at the same time we recognize um that to be a christian it's not going to be the laws that make them christian it's it's going to be Christ. It's going to be the gospel. Um, but that, but but just because it's the gospel that converts people, it doesn't mean we ignore what is what what is good and and what is healthy for a nation to believe in in terms of moral right and wrong. Yeah, absolutely. And I think you'll find some of these proponents of you know Christian nationalism on the conservative side. I, again, I it sounds to me like they're trying to instill Old Testament laws that were designed as civil laws for Israel. And, yeah. and that's where the problem is. Now, I, I think it's foolish um, to not take the principles behind those laws and say, okay, here are good principles for laws for mankind. Right. They're good, they're godly, and, and yeah, we should do that. But um, it, And so that is really kind of where the problem comes in. And, and then, of course, like we've been saying the whole time, we need to make sure that we, we never start to believe as Christians that something other than the gospel – is what's needed um, for Christianity to survive or thrive. Right. Mm -hmm. I, I think we forget biblical history very easily. Um, it, it, you know, Rome was 
a political machine. And it's not as though Christians could not have influenced politics in Rome. That's just not true. I I mean, you, you read the diaries of, you know, some of the Roman emperors and, you know, the, the various governors and things, you can see how involved it, it's just like today. I mean, you had people lobbying the governors for this thing or that thing. Um, you know, when I, I think it's Paul is speaking to, oh goodness, what's his name? I forgot now. Um, it, Paul speaking to one of the governors in, in, in scripture and he's pressing upon him, uh, the, the need to repent from impurity and things like that. And uh, maybe the name will come to me in a moment, but um, Agrippa, Agrippa. Right. Yeah. yeah. So it, it, Agrippa and no, there was another one. Uh, so there's Felix. multiple. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. That's it right there. So Felix. So Felix and his wife, this is an interesting and I, and I think um, it's an interesting story. And I think it's applicable to what we're talking about here, because here's Paul with Felix and his wife. Now, it, it's an interesting circumstance because Felix's wife was an adulterous marriage. So you can go, this is just history. You can go and read just the plain history, right? Um, she was a Jewess, uh, and she was married to another, and Felix actually conspired with who we think was Simon um, to basically coerce her into a relationship. Mm-hmm. So he's in an adulterous mm-hmm. marriage. Now, Paul clearly knows this. When you read the passage he's dealing with, one of the words that he uses specifically addresses sexual immorality and then right after that it says that Mm. felix became afraid right um and so felix Mm -hmm. knew exactly what he was dealing with now paul and the reason i bring this up is because when we see these exchanges between paul and government officials there we don't like to make arguments from silence but there are things that we never see he's not trying to influence politics what he's trying to do is win the soul of the person to christ he's trying to convert king agrippa he's not trying to um, persuade king agrippa to change the roman law so that they're in line with right israel's laws that's not what he's doing Uh, when he confronts felix who's a governor um, who has power he is addressing his own soul and his issue and calling him to repentance right Um, right we don't see anywhere in scripture where the disciples are commanded to or where they do a try where they do try to um, uh, affect local laws and their system works just like ours in terms of humanity there were backdoor meetings there was there were night discussions right um, if you're familiar i mean just look through all of the history of the emperors how much collusion and just things that happen. So it would have been very possible for for Christians to try to get in and influence politics. All you do is you make the right friends, you pay some people off, or maybe if you're Christian, you don't do that. Uh, But in that time, you you apply the pressure of of the people group, right? Uh, We saw that at the crucifixion of Christ. Uh, What did the Pharisees do? Well, they applied political pressure in the form of a threat of a mob, right? That, mm-hmm. That's what they did. Um, and it, it's interesting, uh, Elon, Musk is, Elon Musk has been posting, um, what is it, Vox Populi, Vox Dei, uh, yeah. Voice of the People is the Voice of God. Well, that's how it worked in a lot of ways in Rome, mm-hmm. right? And so the whole point is, it's not like this is new to us in, in that this is the first time we've ever been able to impact politics. They could have done it in scripture, but Jesus never gives those commands, and the apostle never gives those commands. Um, their focus is around gospel witness. I mean, he puts right. Timothy in Ephesus, <clears throat> right? And what's he tell him? Do the work of an evangelist. Right. And the way to change a town – I mean, look, if you, if, if you want to change a town, you save the majority of the people in that town, and, and it would be changed, right? Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but we tend to, for whatever reason – when we start talking about Christian nationalism, we tend to think politics, at least it sounds like, we believe politics has more power to change people than God does. Mm-hmm. And that's not the intention, but I think that's ultimately what happens. 
Right, right. And when I think also, there's another example, the Apostle Paul, when he writes to the church in Ephesus, chapter six is the armor of God, right? Mm -hmm. Put on the armor of God, but he doesn't tell you <clears throat> to put on the armor of God so that you can take over all these um, civil positions um, so that you can storm the castle and take over and make this into a Christian nation. Um, Paul, when he writes to the Ephesians, he's actually in prison himself. He's waiting to see um, Caesar. Uh, he's waiting for his day to see Caesar. And at the end of the armor of God, after he lists all the elements of the armor of God, in verse 18, he says, this is chapter 6, verse 18, with all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the spirit. And with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. But watch this, verse 19, and pray on my behalf that utterance may be given to me in opening my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel. So his number one priority in, in meeting with Caesar is to preach the gospel to him. And by the way, when you read through the book of Philippians, he had been doing that in Caesar's household. Um, the very end of the book of um, Philippians, he, same setting, he's in prison, he's writing to a church. Um, but at the very end, he says, the, um, the servants of Caesar's household greet you um, because the implication there is that Paul has been sharing the gospel and they've been giving their life to, to Christ. So you see that in the example, certainly of Paul, as he's writing these letters to these churches and, and in his own priority of just trying to make sure that the gospel is proclaimed and heard. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's such a good point uh, because again, who's the one that changes the hearts of men? Is it political maneuvering or is it God? Right. Um, how, how many people? And I, I'm just thinking about this. And I, I, honestly, it's a little bit, it's a little bit heartbreaking even for me to think about. How many people have Christians proclaiming, Christ, professing Christians have been in front of the president, Biden or Trump, um, and in instead of proclaiming the gospel, pleading with them to come to Christ, it's all been about politics. Right. I, I mean, that's a that's a heartbreaking thought to me. One is because it demonstrates, and we know that this is this happens, right? One is because it demonstrates that there is a greater belief in the power of politics than the power of Christ. And two, it demonstrates a lack of concern for the souls of, you know, the people you're in front of. Um, you can you can convince someone to change a law, maybe, but then they still go to hell. So, as a Christian, right. how do you justify that as being the end goal? Um, Paul, yeah, I mean, Paul wasn't trying to convince Agrippa to do anything other than come to Christ. Yeah. And so and, and so that's just kind of my concern with this sort of movement is ultimately um ultimately it it takes I, I mean, I I think in and of itself that without it meaning to be this kind of spits in the face of God. Um I I, I don't think that Stephen Wolf is intending that. That's not what I'm saying. But it does put the power in the hands of politics to make things Christian, when in reality, that power belongs to God alone. And, and then I think, well, who's the one that puts rulers in place? I mean, let's talk about that, right? We're, this is all predicated on getting in the right rulers, the right governor, the right president. But doesn't this idea almost kind of lend itself to believing that we're in charge of that? Right. Yeah, and God is the one who's in charge of that. I mean, you, you see that with Elijah after his confrontation with the prophets of Baal. He goes to the mountain. Um, he's running away from Jezebel, fearing for his life. But he goes to uh, the the Mount uh, uh, the, the Mount Sinai um, to to go and see God. And God ends up telling him, "Look, you're going to go back, and you're going to anoint the next king of Israel, the next king of Syria, and uh, this is going to be the person who's going to be the prophet in your place." And God makes it very clear that He is the one who is sovereign over. Um, kings and queens, um, but also when their reign is going to end, who's going to replace them, how each one is going to die, and who's going to be the one to kill each, each of them. So he is sovereign over all of that. There was no part of this in which God was trying to encourage Elijah to make this happen. He basically sent him back to say, this is 
actually what's going to happen. Um, so yeah, this is this is all God that puts people in place. Even the evil rulers um, that that we have, even presidents like Joe Biden, who has been one of the worst presidents, if not the worst president in the history of America, God is the one that put him in place. Um, regardless of what what you think about the election and the votes and whatnot, and I do believe there was a lot of shady activity going on with the election count, and yet God was sovereign over that as well. Mm-hmm. And our president is indeed right now Joe Biden. Yeah. I mean, God uses means. We understand that. Yeah. Right. I, I mean, he saves men by using the means of his people proclaiming the gospel. It's still wholly a work of God. Mm-hmm. Um, and when we think of, you know, the rulers that we have, I mean, and the question that we should not be asking is how do we get better rulers in office? That is not the Christian question. The The mature Christian question is, why is God giving us the rulers we have? Mm-hmm. Right. Um, right. Because right. when you ask that question, you're forced to go back to scripture and say, is there a pattern that is clear enough for us to see mm-hmm. that uh, in, in how God sets up and tears down rulers? And the answer is there is. Right. Um, it, it, you mentioned, you know, God in reference chapter 13 of Romans. When we're talking about this, and some people may be feeling a bit antsy because it's taken the power of their vote away, uh, that I understand that feeling. I'm not saying don't vote. I'm just saying that ultimately, yeah. regardless of our vote, God is sovereign over the results. Whether right. that means in providence he uses the lying and manipulation and cheating to put in the ruler he wants, um, or we get a righteous ruler, God is still sovereign over that. Right. There's never been he, a yeah. Go ahead. <clears throat> Yeah, and he uses that voting system. So, I mean, he uses um, those who who vote to accomplish the purpose that he has already preordained. So, you're right; the the outcome has already been determined. That does not um, that does not free of us uh, us of our responsibility. Right. So, I mean, when we understand the sovereignty of God, God is both in control, but man is also responsible. So, here in California, Proposition One passed. Proposition One basically turns it into constitutional law that um, that uh, a, a mother with a, a baby in her womb can have that baby aborted anytime during the full term um, no questions asked uh, throughout the 40 weeks she, her life doesn't even need to be in any kind of jeopardy and that's which- a done deal Right. That's that's a done deal. It's in the Constitution. So I would say this. If you were a Christian and you did not vote uh, against that Proposition 1, then that's a sin. You you should have yeah, stood up. I would agree you you should have stood up and, and voted no on that. That was a responsibility. And at the same time, the outcome was already deter- determined by God. So both are true. Yeah. Yeah. And now why would God determine an outcome that is so evil? Um, because Romans 1 is playing out before our eyes and we're being handed over um, to our sin. We're, we're being handed over to evil rulers, to, to evil laws. Um, but woe is you. And, and uh, when I say that, um, you know, I got to be careful. I'm not saying that that you're condemned as a Christian. I'm not saying that this is what's going to send you to hell, but it's certainly not a good sign if you weren't willing to stand up for what you were supposed to stand up for. Yeah, I would agree with you. If you were in states like that and you you didn't vote um, against things like that, even if, look, I don't think it's, um, it, we are not commanded in scripture to vote for presidents and, you know, governors and things like that. If there are, um conscientious biblically informed conscientious objections to voting for someone um then by all means don't vote if you believe you're in sin before god and don't let anyone tell you it's a sin not to Mm -hmm. however that being said when there are things like propositions like this um where it's not you're not voting for a ruler you're voting for a issue of pure morality right life and death and you have a say and you choose to say nothing you're guilty before god yeah not gonna lose your salvation that's not what we're talking about right, uh, right. It, and if that's you and you live in california then look get on your knees ask god for forgiveness repent of that and then move forward knowing that you do have it right god is a gracious god um and then when you get the opportunities in the future vote accordingly but understand as you've rightly said God is ultimately sovereign over that. So R- Romans 13, 1, I mean, we read a lot, but listen, every person is to be in subjection to their governing authorities for there is no authority except from God. And those which exist have been appointed by God. That's an interesting statement because he says exactly the same thing twice in the same sentence. He yeah. says it one way, 
And then he says it the opposite way. All authorities from God, all those who exist have been appointed by God, right? There's no authority except those from God. So we have Joe Biden and Kamala Harris because that's what God gave us. So the right question is not how do we build up a movement to get a better president. The question is, God, why are we getting wicked rulers? Yeah. Right? Um, yeah. And and I think if we go back to scripture, there's a theme. When God gives his people wicked rulers, and we're looking at Israel, we're not Israel, but when God gives his people wicked rulers, it's generally, in fact, it's always because his people have turned from being faithful. Right. Right. And And the purpose of that hard life, those wicked rulers, is to bring his people to repentance. Now, I believe the principle there, because again, we're not Israel, is that God gives his church, his people, right? Um, I, I mean, we were once a nation that I think largely held to Christ-likeness. Um, I think that what we're seeing now, in addition to Romans 1, is meant to be a wake-up call to repentance to the church in our country. Um, and, it, you know, God, God is involved with his people, and when his people are faithful and where his people are faithful, we see God's blessing and we see that unbelievers enjoy that blessing, right? Uh, when we're talking about nations and things like that. I mean, you just go back and look at uh, when David was getting the ark, where the ark was, there was blessing, right? Right, um, right. And so, at least for some, <laughs> um, the the other guys had to send it off. But yeah. So we see that. Um, so I think the right view is to set aside this talk of Christian nationalism um, and and start crying out to God, right, in repentance and get serious about the gospel changing the lives of people. You want to make a difference? You want to make a point to talk to uh, the, the civil authorities rather than making – well, let's say it this way. Imagine if all the effort that was put into convincing civil authorities to make right laws was given to convince civil authorities to come to Christ. Yeah. I, I mean, what difference would that make? Because we shouldn't be under the illusion that the Republican Party is the Christian party. That's stupid. It's just stupid. They're an opposition party, and they have to take Right. For there to be a two party system, they have to take views that are contrary to the other side. Now, yeah. I think that there are a lot of Christians in the Republican Party. There's a reason for that, because that's the only platform we could be associated with currently. Right. 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 Um, but it doesn't mean. But there are plenty of people, godless people in the Republican Party. Look, look how many uh, Republican senators and congressmen are for gay marriage. There's actually right. a lot. Now, yes. there are a whole lot more than would vote on a ticket. But, I mean, they openly speak about it from time to time. It's a mm -hmm. large number. Yeah, They just haven't made that a platform issue, right? Um, there are – anyway, so w w we call them Renos, but the, the point is not that we make this into a Christian party versus a not-Christian party because that's just not true. Um because I think then we stop sharing the gospel with people who desperately need the gospel, right? I mean, I grew up in the South. There are more Baptists in the South than there are Christians. Yep, I know. Right? And, and I'm speaking as a Baptist, as a Baptist pastor. Here, yeah, we're right? both so, Baptists, right? Yeah, we're both um, Baptists. It, but that's true. And and what it does is creates a culture of where no one shares the gospel. Right. Um, but Because right. you just assume. So... Yeah. So anyway, that's a bit of my concerns. I, I hope that's helpful. Do you want to add add to that? Eddie? Yeah. And, and I just I just commentary yeah, in there. I, yeah. I just want to add on top of what you were talking about with the Republican Party. When we talk about our two party system, uh, there, I, I don't I don't believe that either system is standing for Christ. And I agree with you. I think there are some Christians in the uh, Republican Party. I have actually met some who have been yeah, running for um, office uh, in Arizona just recently. So I do believe that that is the only party that you could be involved in if you're going to get into, involved in politics. But we've seen um, some really just sloppy handling of God's name and God's word on both sides. 
Yeah. You know, there are churches, there have been churches uh, across the nation, both conservative as well as progressive, who have um, invited uh, politicians to come in and speak to their congregation as if they're spiritual leaders. And and I would say to those churches, shame on you. Um, and it's regardless of which side you're on, um, because not only should you not be making the church into a place of politics, but also even the people that you're inviting to speak clearly do not know the word of God um, in, in almost every case that, that I've seen. And recently I've seen videos from Lauren Boebert um, and we had uh, Donald Trump to ask uh, Kenneth Copeland to to pray for him. And Kenneth Copeland is, is a heretic, right? So we see a lot of um, yeah. issues in terms of what is being portrayed as Christianity. And of course, uh, Donald Trump during his presidential term asked Paula White to be his spiritual advisor of all people. And, and he had been in regular conversation with people like John MacArthur, um, but for him to to go to heretics like that to represent Christianity is an absolute abomination. So yeah. this is not at all to say that the Republican Party is equivalent to being a Christian party. It is not. And and quite honestly, I think a lot of them are are cowards. I think a lot of them are just lifelong politicians. That's the game that's played on both sides. Um, so that that is not uh, we're not pushing one party over the other. Though I agree, there's only one party that uh, that that could be seen as as being complementary to to christian values and and really it makes sense because if the republican party is supposed to be the conservative party they're mm-hmm. seeking to conserve what america was built upon which yeah. is judeo-christian values so that's what what it all comes down to and the liberal and progressive party is trying to move further and further away from that but at the end of the day None of that is going to save the hearts of men and women. It's going to be us proclaiming the gospel. And and this is what I told, uh, I've been saying now more and more to our church. I'm really starting to try to emphasize this. Our priority has to be the gospel. It's knowing the gospel, it's living the gospel, and it's sharing the gospel. By knowing the gospel, I I don't mean just the basic message of Jesus Christ as Lord, but I mean knowing the scriptures, being able to defend the scriptures, knowing Christ, knowing his life, knowing the testimony in Acts of how the church began, knowing how how Jesus Christ's words were applied to the church uh, from the apostles in all of their letters to individuals and, and churches throughout the New Testament. So we have to know know the gospel we have to live the gospel we have to show ourselves to be faithful um, followers of christ in our behavior in our speech and our actions otherwise we have no credibility but it's not enough to just know it and to live it but we must share it we witness christ but if we witness christ without a faithful testimony or we try to witness christ without an understanding of the word then it's going to fail so all those all three of those items must be in place but it is all centered upon the gospel yeah amen you know it's interesting i had a discussion with a person that owns a radio station and um, a, a fairly large one here in Alaska and <clears throat> claimed to be a Christian. And it was a pleasant conversation, but the whole conversation was they were trying to get pastors to come together for the reason of convincing their people to vote Republican. <laughs> mm. um, and while that in and of itself uh, is on their part, not necessarily a bad thing because they were understanding that to be something that would protect life. What they left out, the whole conversation was about an hour conversation, was anything that had to do with the gospel, anything that had to do with changing hearts. Um, and, and so it was just demonstrative of this same kind of thing. And now I don't think this person knows the term Christian nationalism yet. Uh, at least they didn't when I spoke to them. But um, but that's still the mentality is that the solution to everything is a political party. Um, and it's just not. At some stage, pastors are going to be forced to stand on the pulpit, and I believe this with all my heart, and say that as a Christian, you can no longer vote for either party. Mm. I, that's coming. Yeah. Um, And I I don't know that it's coming soon because it takes quite a long time and often corruption seeps in just little by little. But the moment the Republican Party were to platform a moral issue that we could not stand against, we would discover how many people are more faithful to a conservative party than to Christ. Yeah, right. You know, um, now I, I hope that that's prolonged and I, it would be great if I never see it in my life, but I just think we will. Um, and so the, the solution and knowing that is every chance we get, let's share the gospel with people. Um, you know, why don't we make a movement of sharing the gospel with people? It's almost like that's what we were commanded to do. Uh, Because we were. And convincing people, I mean, for heaven's sake, get in churches, 
get in a local church. If you want a movement that will change something, then try to convince your Christian friends or you yourself, if you're not in a healthy church, although I think the guys that listen to us are probably mostly plugged into local churches. But if you know professing Christians who have little to do with the local church, there's your problem. That's part of the problem. Um, You know, you need to help convince them instead of convincing them to vote vote for the Republican Party. Why don't you try to convince them to get plugged in and be faithful in the local church? And then the word of God will change them. And then everything else you talk to them about being truth um, is secondary to that. Right. Right. Because as God changes our hearts and our minds, then we, we start to detest things like abortion, things like homosexuality, things like drunkenness, things sin, right? We begin to detest sin. And in the middle of that, we begin to see our hearts break for those who are lost um, until we want to share the, the gospel of Christ with them. So, yeah, I, I think those are the dangers of adopting the term Christian nationalism. I hate the term. I don't like it. I don't like attaching Christian to anything like that. Um, if you want to rally around a word, rally around the word Christian. Um, and, and even then we have to say, what do you mean by that? Right? So we have enough battles without adding to them. I think uh, something else that I, I was thinking, Eki, and you can comment on this is, look, we're Calvinists unashamed unabashed you know i'm probably a six point calvinist um (laughs) maybe even seven points anyway um however look when i'm speaking to someone my goal is to get them to see biblical truth which means if i know or suspect that the word calvinist or calvinism is going to be a wall i'm not going to mention it because i'm not trying to make calvinists i'm trying to make people who love biblical truth and understand biblical truth and that just means you will be a calvinist um and and so i i I feel the same way with this term somehow if if using the term christian nationalism is just going to create an extra barrier to those who don't know christ then why are we using it because it's not a biblical term it's not as though we need to redeem the term. Now, I'll fight for, you know, uh, biblical terms. I don't like to give the world biblical terms. But Christian nationalism is not a biblical term. Um, and, and so, maybe wisdom in moving forward is just we don't need that word, and it puts up barriers, I think, to the gospel that's unnecessary, right? The, the moment someone, you know, on the other political end hears us use that word, I mean— effectively you've lost the opportunity to speak with them uh Mm -hmm. i think in a lot of cases so wouldn't it be better if we genuinely care about them um that if they don't want to speak to us and they hate the truth that it be because we're speaking and using biblical language not language that we just like and we've made up i know what are your thoughts on that ecky yeah i i don't use the word christian nationalism um I, I certainly don't use it to describe what i believe just like i don't use the word calvinist when i'm in the pulpit look this is what the bible says this is what it teaches this is why i believe it um and, and the people who attend our church um, a lot of them come because they just want to hear what the bible says and so when it comes to our views as it relates to public policy and, and whatnot it's like i said we, we stand upon truth no matter how it's seen no matter how it's perceived um, we don't need to use um, words that are going to be misunderstood and when other people use those words to denounce what we're saying then i would stop and question them what do you mean by christian nationalism and then i would point back to the bible and say this is the reason why i'm saying this um whether it's political or not really i could i could not care less um how it's perceived by the world i'm going to stand upon truth and this is wrong and i need to stand against it or this is right and i need to support it yeah Amen. Well, guys, I hope that this has been helpful to you, um, at least give you some things to think about. Just remember, the goal, our goal here is to glorify God in everything we do. And that's where our loyalty lies. We have a king. We have a king. It's not Joe Biden. (laughs) Joe, (laughs) Joe Biden is a temporary ruler that I submit to as far as I can biblically that I'm commanded to pray for sincerely for his soul and uh, for God to work in his life and in the administration to his glory as well. Um, But I have a king. I don't need to try to make a new one. Um, But what we do need to do 
is focus on the primacy of the preaching and the teaching of the gospel. The scripture tells us how will they hear un, un, unless we go? How will they hear without a preacher, right? And that's not Eki and me and your pastor. That's everybody, right? Everyone is commanded to evangelize. Um, and so let that be your focus. Don't l- get distracted by uh, the... the you know, I, I like the little meme where the guys, the little dog is sitting at the table and there's fires all around him. Yeah, um, right. Yeah, we all like that meme because you're like, yeah, we live in that, right? But don't get so focused on what looks so terrible that you get anxious and start to get caught up in movements like this where the focus is taken away from Christ. Um, it, you don't need to be anxious. All of this is under God's control. So, in 2024, whether we get, um, you know, DeSantis as a president, if God's gracious, um, or Trump, heaven forbid, um, or Joe Biden again, Lord have mercy, um, whether all that's true, any of that, it's God's working and it's God's doing. And as things get worse, I believe what we need is a revival, a genuine biblical revival. And I believe that that starts in the church. I think it always starts in the church, right? When we see Christians with callous knees again, crying out to God, I think we'll see some of God's mercy and God's graces, maybe more like what we've seen in the past. But as things get worse, inevitably what you'll find is new joy and new grace in your own life. And I think that's what we need. Amen. So, thank you guys for listening. Hope this is helpful. Couple things. Uh, housekeeping for you. We have uh, lots of new videos and things coming out. We do YouTube shorts now. Uh, if you're watching this on YouTube, then you know. Make sure you click the subscribe link. Um, the YouTube short videos are short 60-second clips where I deal predominantly with just hot topic issues and maybe at times as Eki gets a chance, he'll jump in there um, in just 60 seconds, some doctrinal, theological, or uh, just Christian perspective question that we deal with. Um, coming up soon, uh, Eki and I are going to start doing five-minute or so videos answering questions that are probably predominantly related to what people in our churches are are asking and wanting to know but we'd love to include your questions in that so you can email us um at the truth be known podcast at gmail.com we would uh, love to hear from you so hope this has been helpful and until next time let the truth be known the truth be known podcast is a theologically driven gospel-centered program serving the body of Christ by bringing biblical truth to bear on issues facing the church today. Subscribe to the Truth Be Known podcast by using the podcast app on your Apple or Android device or listen online at strivingforeternity.org in the podcast section.